Steve. Here we are again with another episode of the Steel Target Paint Podcast. You been doing any shooting lately? Oh, heck yeah, Jeff. Did some training uh, this past weekend and did some sighting in of some guns. Hopefully I'll get to this, uh, I don't know what kind of fan club we're calling it nowadays, but the 13 divisions of Steel Town. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join that club here, Jeff. I think you're pursuing the same thing, right? That is true. This past weekend, I was able to shoot my new 320X5 in production and limited and earned uh, those classifications. And uh, this weekend, I'm going to get to sh shoot the two granddaddy of them all, Iron Sight Revolver and Open Sight Revolver. Uh, and our good buddy Greg Kearse has uh, promised to videotape me for the blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that. Yeah, it's hey, going to be fun. Yeah. We've got a special one here tonight. We, we got... actually have we actually have the first sponsor that I ever had about two and a half years ago. You know who that is, Jeff? I, I do not. Why don't you tell our listeners? We've got Chet with Tactical Solutions. How you doing, Chet? Good. How are you guys? Fantastic. Good. Welcome to the podcast, Chet. Thank you. Appreciate it. So let's do a little bit of a background about Tactical Solutions. When did Tactical Solutions start and how did it come about? Well, Tactical Solutions actually started as a job shop called CNC Solutions back in 2000. Um, I was, my background is in sawmills and lumber and manufacturing. And I was at a point where I was reasonably bored with what I was doing and a neighbor, uh, one of the companies right next door to me uh, ran a CNC shop and invited me over and I was fascinated by it. So um, I fell in love with the technology and a few months later I was manufacturing parts for really for Kinko's copies back when they were Kinko's and shipping uh, little paper punches uh, worldwide. And that's kind of how we started in business. Um, we continued on making very precision parts for aerospace, medical, automotive, airbag, semiconductor, and when business was really good, it was great. When business was really bad, it wasn't a lot of fun. So as we were growing, um, I was looking for some talent to bring in to the company, and I was fortunate enough to find a gentleman by the, well, he's not a gentleman, he's a, <laughs> he's a manufacturer um, by the name of Dan Person. He'd had a, quite an extensive manufacturing background in, in uh, firearms out of Salt Lake City, and I brought him up. And one of the things Dan said is, I will, I will come up and be your GM, but I want the ability to buy in as a, as a partner over time. And I said, that is great with the understanding I'm tired of being a job shop. I want to have my own product lines and basically control my own destiny. Well, Dan accepted, came up here, did amazing, did amazing things for the company. And Dan's background is in firearms, and he's a very accomplished silhouette shooter. And he came up with our very first product, and that was the Packlight pistol. It was a lightweight, cool upper in different colors. Uh, for the Ruger, back then it was Mark I and Mark II uh, series pistols. Um, and we started this entire company based on that one pistol, that one bar barrel, I should say, um, five lengths, six different colors, and that's where it all began. You know, 
when we first started, um, it, we were on the verge of disaster financially because we'd sunk so money into it. And you know, coming through a small business and with a lot that much growth, we were hanging on by the skin of our teeth. And um, we looked at it and said, "Okay, what do we do?" And I brought my son up from Southern California, and he got in his car with a with a case of guns and went east. I got in my car literally and with a case of guns and went west. And we just started cold calling on uh, FFL dealers. And lo and behold, the, the market loved what we were bringing to it. We were picking up 15 or 20 new FFL dealers a week. And um, that's wow. kind of how we started in business. So at what point, Chet, did you guys make your first X-Ring, the first 1022 style receiver? It ended up being about four or five years later. Um, we worked on, you know, kind of the transition was to make the aftermarket barrel for the Ruger pistol, which was the most plentiful pistol out there. Uh, the next was the Browning Buckmark. We came up with the trail light. And then we obviously went to the 1022 and started making 1022 barrels. Um, the natural progression at that point in time was, you know, people kept saying, why don't you just come out with your own action and you put it with your barrel and come out with the entire gun. So we spent a lot of time refining, you know, because basically we had a we had a blank canvas, and we could make it the way we wanted to. So obviously the the Ruger 1022 platform was by far the most plentiful out there. So we we looked at what we liked about the platform and what we didn't like about the platform, and um, our engineer and Dan and a little bit myself, I guess, put some input into it. And we came out with our X-Ring rifle. And where some people may take the same parts that you would find in a, in a Ruger 1022, since we had a blank canvas, we wanted to put in what made sense uh, in terms of how we, how we designed how the action worked. Now it still fits in the same footprint as a, as a 1022, but there isn't anything that's you know close to what a Ruger is. Um, it, it's our own our own uh, complete action. So, so what are the main differences uh, between say a, a stock 1022 bolt and a Tactical Solutions bolt? Okay, uh, great question. Um, First of all, we just as a school or as a rule of, of thumb for tactical solutions, we don't do anything that's cast or forged. Um, everything we do starts out as a solid uh, piece of metal, whether it's aluminum, titanium, or stainless steel. With our bolt, um, we looked at the design of Ruger, and if you notice on a Ruger bolt, um, it's got one shiny side and one rough side. And there's two reasons. Ruger doesn't care what the inside of the bolt looks like because no one sees it, but they do care about the outside because they want to have a nice appearance. But also on on the um, the guide rod, it's set on one side. So that bolt always wants to cant one way or another. Um, it, it's just the way it is, but it, it's, it's got, um, I guess the proper word would be slop or play in it so that it works very well. I mean, you you cannot really fault Ruger in their design. I mean, they made an incredibly inexpensive firearm that runs very, very well. Um, with our bolt, again, looking at it, we wanted the bolt to be able to go down that action absolutely square. The only way that really made sense with us is to put two guide rods. Um, they're all centerless ground and polished guide rods. 
um, basically piano wire in terms of our spring system. And the design of our bolt is such that um, if you look at our bolt, anytime you fire a, a rimfire, because of the carbon and, and the crud that comes with it, your coefficient of friction, that bolt inertia changes every time you pull the trigger. So what we tried to do is we take the top of our bolt and we made little convolutions in it. So essentially what it does is it rides on real thin rails, about eighth of an inch wide. But the other thing that it does is it, those convolutions gives the carbon and, and all the, you know, the, the gunk that you get from shooting and it deposits in those indentations so you can shoot a high round count without really affecting the function of your, of your rifle. So it's those little things that, that we brought into it. And then with our action, you know, we, we saw, okay, we make it out of a complete piece, a billet piece of aircraft aluminum. So let's mill in a, uh, a, a Picatinny rail in it, and it's a 15 MOA rail. And, um, you know, to a point where even their barrel locking lug, um, we don't do st standard barrel locking lugs. What we found with the Ruger is it has a tendency to pull the front end of that, of the barrel down. It makes it droop, which is mm -hmm. great because we'll sell you a 15 MOA rail uh, to help make up for that, that droop. Mm -hmm. but ours pull, it's a design we have on our, uh, of our own, and we, it pulls it directly back. You know, we thought at one point in time, I wonder if anyone would be even interested in these things. And we sell probably 50 to 100 a month going out. And, you know, compared to what's out in the marketplace, we're about five times more expensive. But it really does a great job. And, again, it's, it's stainless steel. Fantastic. So, you know, you mentioned the 1022. And, you know, the first thing you developed was uh, the pack light barrel. And you did a trail light. Uh, it sounds like you focused really on the 22 long rifle market. Is that true? Yeah, you know, there's a couple of a couple of exceptions. You know, we have some specialized um, AR-15 rifles, uh, AR-15 light, and uh, they're very much like our SBX, where you can actually screw a can into it and have the advantage of of a short barrel rifle without having to to get another tax stamp. Uh, we do those in, in 300 blackout and in 223. Um, but other than that, everything we we do, whether it's in rifles, pistols, um, we're also a fairly large and well-known suppressor manufacturer. We really like that rimfire space. Um, it's our wheelhouse. Um, you know, 22 is cheap to shoot. It's fun to shoot. Families are involved with it. And now with, you know, Rimfire Challenge and some of the other shooting venues, we think it's a growing industry. So, you know, we love playing in that space. Super. Well, thank you for that. Sure. Hey, Jeff, have you had the opportunity to visit Tactical Solutions out in Idaho? I have not, but I, uh, I hope to get out there someday. Yeah, is there an invitation? Love, love, love to have you. Absolutely. Wait, I was going to say, is is my face on the door? Don't let this man in. I, I just want to know before you know. I'm just saying it to be nice. <laughs> you know, I'm saying it to be nice. <laughs> I'm used to it. This is yeah. this is this is what happens. You know. <laughs> the the reason why I mention it, Jeff, is. I was completely blown away. It was probably a year and a half or so ago. It was at the 2000, I believe, 17 Northwest 
Rimfire Challenge Championship and had the opportunity to take a tour. And wow, Jeff, I was blown away. It is a high-tech manufacturing production and assembly operation. I, I don't know if, uh, Chet, you want to go into too much of the equipment that you use, but there has got to be it's 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 state of the art stuff that that these guys are using probably to get to that level of precision and also to get the throughput that they need to meet customer yeah. demand. You know, uh, we we pride ourselves in in the equipment we have here, and you saw how clean this is. I mean, this is kind of like a doctor's office, um, and you were seeing it in the middle of the day. Um, it is extremely clean. They take a lot of pride in in their areas in in the building itself. Uh, the building was built specifically for this task. But you know, our machinery, since we were into the medical field and aerospace field, the tolerances are so so tight that there's really not a lot of room for air. So you know, where a lot of people may do a five thousandths. You know, we deal in tenths, ten thousandths of an inch, um, where we may have a, a part that requires us to be within two ten thousandths of an inch, uh, which is incredible. But, you know, we have, in, you know, like Akuma, Matsura, Kiwa. I mean, we pride ourselves in the equipment we have here. Um, they're expensive, yeah, but, you know, if you're making great parts and if you're making precision parts, you have to have the right tools in order to get it done. So, Chet, if I understand this, literally you're just getting blocks of material yep. and then you're seeing seeing everything. Yes. We either get it in as round bar or square. Um, it could be titanium. We do a lot of stainless steel. We do a, obviously a lot of aluminum. Um, but, yeah, it comes in and raw. We have a computerized saw that cuts it to length. Um, it feeds itself, and we, we prepare weeks in advance of what's going into each one of these uh, operations. You know, one of our production equipments called a Matsura Horizontal. Um, we can run at any point in time probably eight jobs at a time, and they come in on tombstones, so we can, we can work at any angle around those tombstones. And literally, this machine is um, booked out for the next 30 years. Wow. We know what's going on it. Um, it may change in terms of what day is going to go on that, but it, we have production planned for that thing for 30 years in the future. So with your tolerances and, and, and what you're doing, um, what, I don't know what the right word to use is. I'm just going to say, what's your throwaway rate? I mean, are you, are you being as meticulous as you have to be for what you're putting together and what you choose to be? which is a, a, a testament to your uh, wanting quality in your product, how much do you get at the end of the day and you go, this isn't good and it goes in the junk pile? Uh, interesting question. Now, keep in mind that my background is lumber. And if I got within, you know, let's say, cutting studs or cutting whatever I was cutting joists, if I was within an eighth of an inch, I was considered a god. And here we're dealing in tenths. Mm -hmm. so it's a different thing, but uh, our quality assurance has complete control over everything in the production process. If, if quality assurance says not good enough, no one trumps them. Not me, not anyone, not Dan. Um, they have ultimate say-so. Now, that being said, if, if we 
anything that doesn't make our quality or make our standards in terms of plus or minus and our significant differences will be used. They put this thing called uh, red dicom on it so we know it's not a production, but we'll use it and set up parts for the next run. So all things considered, a lot of these parts we've been running for a lot of years. We don't have a lot of fall down. Now, by the same token, let's say we get a barrel or we get an action and we send it out to for anodizing for, for the actual color treatment on it, which we do not do anything here in, in, in Boise. If during the handling of that, someone over there dented it or put a, a slight imperfection in it, Quality Assurance will pick it up, and I'll go back there, and I'll look and look, and I can't see a thing wrong with it, but they'll say, okay, over here, and fine. You know, we have people standing in line trying to get our seconds because they're 99% of the people would never be able to find what's wrong with them, but nothing leaves the shop unless it's 100% perfect. Very cool. Very cool. Chad, I'd like to transition a little bit and talk about your presence in the shooting community and sponsorship. You have a significant presence in both Steel Challenge and Rimfire Challenge. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how you look for sponsored shooters and what it means to you to sponsor shooters? Yeah, an interesting story though, going back to when we were first starting, you know, we didn't know anything, and especially me, didn't know anything about competitive steel shooting, uh, speed shooting, if you will. And one day about, we were, I guess, in our second year in operation, and I got a phone call said, hey, your barrel just won world championship. I, my comment was, steel championship of what? And they said, <laughs> well, the world steel championship in Piru. And I went, uh, okay, I have no idea what that is. And I said, who won? And they said, okay, Miklish. Miklish. And I said, uh, who's that? And I said, well, probably the most famous woman shooter at that time in the country. And I went, Okay, well, I knew nothing about it. Um, that year, you know, Kay and Lena um, were the only ones shooting our pack lights. And the next year, there was probably about a dozen shooters. And the year after that, there was probably about two dozen. It was, it was really pretty cool. Um, you know, what we do, I have kind of a different mindset when it comes down to shooters. You know, we're a small company. Um, we don't have huge deep pockets. Um, you know, even if we could afford to buy talent to represent us, you know, go out and get the top shooters, we wouldn't do it. Um, we just don't believe in, in buying talent. We believe in helping uh, those individuals that, that need help that probably, you know, for, for one reason or another, um, they, they fit our profile. And, you know, we spend most of our money on our youth. Um, we believe that the youth is really the... the um, future of shooting sports. Um, we believe that's our next tier of voters. They don't need your and I vote because they've already got it, but we should really be worrying about the next people coming through. So we spend an inordinate amount of time and, and energy working with uh, the youth, both boys and girls, and uh, it's worked out really well for us. Um, we love to share our passion with these kids, and, um, you know, uh, it, it's important you know, a lot of people will say, hey, are you going to come to this match? And my answer is pretty much the same. If I go to that match um, and fly there and stay for a couple of days, it precludes us from sponsoring, um, you know, two to three kids through the course of the year. So I just as soon keep my ugly mug here and, and get some kids up there. But, you know, we've really been blessed on who we've been able to to 
handle and, and go with. You know, you look at some of our, our uh, shooters like, you know, the Phenom, McKenzie, and, and Zoe Bragg. I mean, those kids are just phenomenal. You know, Morgan Chafin, Max Friedman, who's, I mean, you got to love this kid. Um, Trent Masuka, Ethan Inacondo, B.J. Norris, Christian Saylor. I mean, it goes on. And uh, there's a couple of guys with associated with a paint company that, you know, I'd like to bring up everyone. You know, you've got crazy Mark Eckstein, you know, Grimes, uh, Taparowski. You know, I, I look at Vince Taparowski as my 77-year-old junior. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just really blessed that, that I, I get to associate with all these people and, and call them friends. Well, Chet, let me share something uh, with you about... Uh, you probably remember back in uh, August, we had the West Florida Steel Challenge Championships. Mm-hmm. And um, we had met just on Facebook a couple of months prior. You know, everybody in the shooting community ends up being everybody's friend. Sure. And and I just sent you a little message that says, hey, you know, we're having a level two match and and would would like to be able to, to do something and, and give away, uh, at that time, a gun. And you said, well, get with Mary. And those that have ever called Taxol, you may or may not have talked to Mary, but she's great. Oh, and uh, and I talked to Mary, and um, she's like, okay, well, let me get with Chet and uh, find out what the deal's going to be. And she came back, and the deal was so good, we gave away five X-rings, an SBX barrel, a pack light barrel, because of your willingness to get behind our match. And I can't thank you enough for that support. Well, I appreciate that. We, we do what we can. You know, with being a small company and, and uh, you know, in this industry this year, it's been tough on, on almost everyone. You know, the sales are not up to what everyone would love it to be. But, you know, we do the best we can with what we've got and try to support the, the shooting sports out there. We're, we're, you know, we're a backer. We've been from, well, when we found out <laughs> who Kay was and, and what, what the uh, World Steel Championship was, uh, we've been kind of players in that industry. Excellent. And the other cool part that I will tack on to that is how you went about it, Jeff, I believe was the right way. There's been a lot of discussion out on social media for the last, I don't know, it's probably been 10 years, but definitely in the last 12 to 18 months about how prizes should be awarded and distributed. And I like how you did it. You had um, random giveaways, and so you had people that may not have shot an X-Ring before, now they actually own one, and and I think that's the right way to spread and enhance the brand. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of top shooters out there that may feel a little bit different because some of the people make their livelihood from this from the sport or try to supplement their livelihood from the sport. But I like what you did in terms of the random prize because it gives everybody the same equal opportunity to get into a first-class rifle. So uh, kudos to you, Jeff. Well, thank you. And the, and the cool part about it was was that the uh out of all those uh items i mentioned um i definitely know one junior who won an x-ring and i know that a junior walked away with the pack light barrel so that was even even cooler to see the juniors win that because we had a pretty pretty solid junior uh response for our match so it was cool to see them walk away with it 
Yeah, it, it, it's really rewarding to me, and, and I know I'm, I'm making the right picks on guys, that, and I shouldn't say guys, but the, the shooters that I, I bring on uh, to help represent us is guys like Trent and Masuka. Um, they will win something, and they're the first one that sees someone who's deserving or that they think can use a firearm. So if he wins a, a Ruger or he wins a 1022, he doesn't even worry about keeping it. He gives it away right then to, to a deserving junior. And generally, it's always to a, a young boy or young girl. And that's just kind of the way these guys are. Um, they look for ways of, of helping others and getting more and more people engaged. And you, you know you've made the right decision when you hear things like that from, you know, from your shooters. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to talk back a little bit about this sponsorship thing. And I've seen the trend, it seems like, in the last 12 to 18 months that more and more people are wearing multiple jerseys. Do you have an opinion on that? Meaning... Let's say one's wearing your uh, Tactical Solutions jersey on a day that they're shooting rimfire, then they um, represent a PCC company as well. Uh, wear a PCC company jersey the next day. What, what are your thoughts on that? What I would prefer to see and what I, I try to stress, and, and there's it's a couple of, of ways to looking at this. If someone is, is doing the PCC or they're doing centerfire, I have no problems with them wearing their jersey. Now, what I insist, well, I don't necessarily insist, but I recommend highly that um, my shooters or the tactical solution shooters list all their um, sponsors on our jersey. In other words, well, you know, one of the things that even when they're on social media, I tell these kids, because I feel like I, besides providing them with product or selling at a discounted rate or, you know, a team rate, Part of my responsibility to them is to teach them how to deal with factories. Uh, if they're willing and they're and they're really good people, to help set them up with other factories. Um, you know, whether they need an optics company or whether or not you know they need hearing protection or eye protection. Uh, if it, if it's a deserving kid that needs a hand, you know, I'll I'll make the proper introductions. But I tell them when you're on social media, you think not just me, or because you're in a rimfire match, you thank every one of those people, whether it's PCC, whether it's Centerfire, whether it's your ammo company, thank them all, because they all got you there. Just because you're shooting in a rimfire match doesn't, you know, doesn't eliminate what good those guys have done. So I encourage you to do that. You know, what's, what's tough sometimes is to, to go to a match or I get photographs from a match and someone said, hey, I want you to put this jersey on. And, and the only photographs I get that I can use for social media or to help promote what they're doing, they have someone else's jersey on. And I'm certainly not going to put that out on, on you know, in the media to say, oh, yeah, here's one of my shooters wearing someone else's jersey. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I think they owe it to themselves or owe it to their responsors to put all their sponsors on that jersey. I, I prefer them to do it. I mean, it takes away some of the, the effect of my jersey on that, but I think it's important. It's an important partnership that they need to learn that they have a responsibility to all those people, not just me. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your input on that. Chip. Sure. All right. I think it's been about two months or maybe it's been three months or so ago where you guys released your Mark IV upper, and I've seen countless uppers at, at the range lately so it seems like those are pretty uh successful release how are salesmen for that 
pretty good. Um, we've been really pleased. We're doing some other platforms off that Mark IV that we'll release at SHOT Show. Um, but yeah, we've been, you know, we've been on that particular project for a long time. And then how we kind of attack the marketplace is we want to make sure that the product, the line, the launch is going to be successful. And sometimes even though you're, you're ready to go to market with it and you've done all your, your R&D and you've done all your testing, it doesn't make sense to put it to the marketplace because there's not a population enough to warrant doing it. You know, it's, it's like when the Smith & Wesson came out, we didn't do anything for the Smith & Wesson victory for, you know, about 18 months because we wanted it to be a population out there that people could choose from. Let them get used to the product, let them, you know, see what they like, what they don't like, and then offer a an, a uh, an alternative to what's out in the marketplace. So. We've always kind of lived by that. Let's let's let the population get out there. Primarily, why we bought the or started with the Packlight because there was probably two million Ruger pistols already in existence, and they were heavy, and they some of them didn't shoot well, some of them shot phenomenal, but everyone was ready to hey, let's let's make something light and cool. Very nice. So, so let, let me follow up on that real quick, Chat. When it comes to Let's call it the, I think, the three major platforms. You've got the Ruger pistol, and there's different marks or different generations of the Ruger. And you have the Smith & Wesson Victory, and you've got the Buck mark. In terms of what barrels you sell for those respective platforms, does it go in that order? Does Is it kind of the Ruger, now the Victory, and then the Buck mark? Or is the Buck mark our pace, pacing the Victory? Um, Ruger by far is number one. Um, and depending on the month or, or who's doing the most promoting uh, in terms of advertising and magazines, it could bounce between the Victory uh, and the Browning Buckmark. You know, obviously the, the Buckmark is a platform that's been around for a long time. There's a lot of them out there. Um, we do a lot of stores that will get in used, or, or FFL dealers will get in used uh, Buckmarks, and they may sit around for a while, so they know what we do. They'll call and order a barrel put it on and put it out there and generally sell it the same day. You know, a lot of times they like to keep it there for a while to sell more barrels, but generally the host and the barrel goes out the door quickly. But when you look at, and if you've filled our guns, which I know you guys have, the balance is back in your hands. Uh, you're not muzzle heavy at all. And, and that's why we've been really good for, for women shooters, for, for youth shooting, because now they can get on a in, on a uh, aim and not be muzzle heavy and be fighting it all the time. They can get into a good shooting position. They're not arching their back trying to make up for the, the weight of their muzzle and the weight of their gun. It's lightweight, it's balanced, it's accurate, and it's fun. You know, we used to say for the for the kids is you're going to take your kid out shooting for the first time. And in it, this is a very important time in their life because if they shoot and they do not get a good group, this isn't any fun. They're going to go and, and become, well, I won't say liberal, and try to, try to kill the, uh, the Second Amendment. If you put right. something in their hands with their first time out that they can get good success with, that's cool, that's lightweight, and they get, you know, they gain the success and confidence, now we've got a shooter and we've got a voter for life. You know, if you don't the first time, who knows whether you get them back again. There's a lot of discussion out there, chat, between the weight difference of, let's say, a 1022 
steel barrel and a tactical solutions barrel and you know my kids are the are the proof in the pudding and reinforces what you just said is that I still have my Ruger 1022 that I got when I was six years old. That was <laughs> a couple years ago. So <laughs> yeah, a couple. Yeah, just so, a few. <laughs> so my kids, they're able to enjoy the Second Amendment because of of your product. So I thank you for that. You bet. It. You know, it's 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 a great spot for us to be in. Um, you know, we, we do have that cool factor. I mean, it used to be everyone knew uh, the, us by the colors and stuff, but really the colors are a very small portion of what we sell. It's generally your, you know, our number one seller is still basic black. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting to look at that, though we're known for our colors. I'm partial to the gunmetal gray. That's what I've got. Uh, our is quickly taking over every other color with the exception of matte black super well so we've talked ruger and buckmark and victory and 1022 and and what's your favorite thing to build hmm. well the obvious choice would be the x-ring rifle but it's not really the case. Um, one of the things I'm probably the most proud of um, is our 1911 conversion. And there are a number of top flight shooters that are shooting our conversion. Um, there's even very well-known shooters in the industry being uh, representing other factories that are shooting this, but mm, people can't tell. They can't tell people because they have competing products and they're not able to tell anyone that they're shooting our products, which is fine, too. We've been supporting a lot of them for a long time. But back in the day, um, people, the ammo was getting expensive. Centerfire ammo was getting expensive and not very plentiful. And we got involved in, in caliber conversions for law enforcement here in Boise, Idaho. Again, budgets were fixed, and, and it wasn't a good time to go out and practice a lot. You got trigger time and, and put your guns up. So this particular one, the 1911 conversion, um, engineers, everyone told us um, there was one person in that, in that space and made it out of uh, aluminum and said, anyone that tries to make it out of anything other than aluminum are idiots. Well right they are we're idiots and we <laughs> that uh, we didn't necessarily believe that and so we did our design based on steel so we take a, a, a an alloy steel 4140 steel it's just mild steel and then we send it out to be heat treated so it's about the hardness of my head and when we <laughs> get it back hard from what oh boy yeah, oh, it's, it's, yeah. let me tell you it's really hard <laughs> and stubborn too so when, once you heat treat steel it's you have to machine it very very slow it's just horrible on tools but if you heat treat it before there's a lot of warping and everything else so we heat treat the bar the the solid stock and then we machine it to our exacting qualities um Again, there is no shortcuts for what we do. It's a very labor-intensive um, process for how we did it. But our 1911, if it's got primer, if the, if the cartridge has primer, it goes bang. It'll cycle subsonics. It'll cycle, cycle anything. I don't care if it's suppressed or not. 
you know, I've been in, in gun ranges where they came in and said, yeah, I hear every salesman say that. And I said, here you go, take it. And he'll go out and get every lousy ammo he's got at the bottom of the box, go into the uh, shooting range and come back and go, yep, couldn't get it to fail other than it was an ammo fail. So again, um, our magazines, uh, you know, we offer two. We offer a, a polymer this last year, but up until then, we have done a completely billet aluminum magazine. Every piece started out as a solid. And they're expensive. I'm not going to kid you. They're very expensive, but they're the last magazine you'll ever have to buy. Um, you can run them over. You can drop them. You can do anything. Now, if you guys have shooting centerfire and you have a rolled form or a metal magazine, um, bent metal, if it falls on the lip loaded, you never know if that thing's going to run. So if you want to go up the line with that in the back of your mind, whether or not that that magazine's going to perform for you or whether or not you're going to, you know, it's going to kill you, uh, good luck with that. Okay. It's funny you say that because I shoot open uh, sometimes in USPSA and you have to occasionally drop a mag and it's, you're dropping and it's falling out of your heart because you're, oh, you're yeah. dropping a $170 mag in a base pad. Yeah, you can run over this, walk all over. It doesn't make any difference. You're not going to hurt this magazine. Awesome. Um, so it, it is, you know, it, we do not sell a tremendous amount of these, you know, compared to every, other things that we sell. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a lower volume. But out of our, everything, it's the one I'm most proud of that because we, they were told us we couldn't do it. Not only did we do it better than anyone in the world, um, it's more reliable than anything in the, in the marketplace today. That's awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll attest to that because prior to taking this competitive shooting thing seriously in the last two and a half years, part of that I used another uh, brand conversion kit, and I had so many issues with that conversion kit, Jeff. It's not even funny. So I'm, I'm omitting the name of the, uh, of the guilty, but I don't want to shame anybody. But sure. the, the, most, the most difficult part was that there wasn't really any good magazines out there. I was using inexpensive plastic magazines or polymer-type magazines, and I would use them for about three months, and I would have to pitch them and start all over again. So I've got two of the, the 2211 conversion kits, um, 1911 frames, and both of them run top-notch, and the magazines are absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and it, and I guess it's it's a, a kind of a prideful thing for me. But you know, we've had several major companies, the ones that you would know their names and you wished you could afford their guns, that want to partner with us on, a, let's say, a 1911 platform with our upper on it. They want to do a joint venture, and and <laughs> the thing that's really rewarding is they want our name on it. <laughs> they want mm -hmm. their name and they want our name on it. I mean, it, it's very flattering. Um, these guys are, you know, make five, six, seven thousand dollar pistols and, and want to play in our arena, you know, with us. So um, I'm kind of just blown away by it. Well, I think part of it is a testament. Steve and I have talked at length about this. Um, and most of the guns, even a stock Ruger out of the box, as long as it performs, you can do well in a match. 
Um, now you start getting a little better and you want to do some trigger work and you maybe want a better barrel. Um, we're not shooting bullseye. We're not trying to hit, you know, dime size uh, targets at 100 yards uh, for what we do in steel. So the accuracy is important, but maybe not as critical as a, as a precision uh, type sport. But what we absolutely have to have is reliability. Yep. And... You know, I started shooting uh, an X-ring and iron sights, uh, and I have to say that the only time the gun hasn't gone bang was an ammo issue. It wasn't a gun issue, and uh, it's happened twice. And in both instances, I saved the round, and um, I put it in other guns. And could not get that round to go off in other guns, so it was a you know priming issue with the with the ammo, um, and you know. But you do have to take care of them too. I mean, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of cleaning after every time I shoot, um, and I'm not saying if I go out and shoot twenty rounds, fifty rounds, I'm going to clean it. But you know, definitely after every match, I like to clean the gun and and. Part of it is the inspection process of, of the parts to make sure everything is still looking good. Mm -hmm. um, it's mechanical, you know, you yeah. know, stuff wears. Sure. Um, years, years ago when, when the first Nationals came out, uh, the Glock team used our trail lights exclusively. And it would be funny, at the end of the year, they would send them to us, and they hadn't cleaned them through the course of the season, <laughs> but they'd go win, you know, a, a national championship and finish in the top in the world and, and never clean the guns. I could not understand that. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and, you know, for our shooters, in, in fairness, we don't do anything special. You know, the, a, a, a barrel or a, a rifle or whatever it is off the that a, that a shooter will use is the same one, you know, Joe Blow on the street that goes into a sportsman's warehouse or a Cabela's or a Bass Pro goes in and buy it. There's no difference. We don't we don't distinguish. You know, we're, it's too hard too hard to have good ones and bad ones. We just make good ones. Right. And there's you know some of the things that we do, and you know you start talking about reliability. Well, there, there's reasons and and causes for that, and some of the things that we do that most people do not do. You know, when you run a very modern CNC shop and, and when you're making barrels, the, the barrel is chambered by a CNC lathe. Um, the lathe knows how fast, how deep to go in with the chamber, then it spits it down, grabs another one, does the same thing. At our shop, as you have seen, is a very modern, uh, clean, tight-running, great shop. But when it comes to um, chambering any gun, we have, whether it be a rifle barrel, a pistol barrel, whatever, we chamber with a manual machine. Uh, we have several manual machines. Uh, most of the time we have women who are very well trained in how to do it because every piece of steel is, is different. Um, how fast you can go into steel, uh, whether or not you've got to back it off, clean your tool off, add more Molly um, D for a lubricant and go back in. Then they take it off, they bore scope it, check it, clean it, and make sure everything's not. If not, they put it back on and run it. Um, but it's that care, it's that little hand touches that we do to finish. You're basically dealing with a custom rifle or a custom pistol in, in the way we produce it, it in terms of fitting and everything. Um, all our rifles are shot, and you guys probably know, have met Colt or heard about Colt. Uh, Lasco, he, you know, he's our, he's our um, resident gunsmith guru. Um, 
the legend, if you will. Um, that's in his own mind? Yo, no, no, in everyone else's <laughs> mind, not mine. Chad, I am yeah. serious. When I posted that the other day, I do have a clear solo cup from Shot With Show last year on it. that has his signature. I oh, that's you. funny. Colt, Colt is absolutely wonderful. He takes his job very seriously. But, you know, how do you go wrong? I think I wrote on that thing. The, the guy's job is to make things work and make people happy. Um, and 99 out of 100 times he does it. And sometimes things go wrong. But you got to realize how, as many things as we ship out in the air, and, again, we're not huge, but, you know, we, we ship a fair amount of volume. Um, when we first started in business 18 years ago, I had one gunsmith. And we're 18 years down the line. Our production is up greatly. I still have one gunsmith that handles all our problems. And Colt screws around half the time. So <laughs> for as much as we send out, that's not fair. As much as we send out, we have very, very few problems. But when we do, we take them seriously. And, and the thing that I hear more than anything else is, you get to talk to a body. You actually get to talk to someone. And yeah, I, I'll problem. say that. I'm going to second that. I'm going to interrupt and second that. Every time I call, I, I get an answer. Yeah. That's we're, another testament to your, uh, your customer service. Yeah, our people here are wonderful. Their job is to make you happy. If there's a problem, solve the problem, make you happy. How do you go wrong? You know, for us, it's it's fun because I got to say, I got the greatest job in the world. You know, I sponsor great people. I employ great people. We make phenomenal products, but I get to make people happy. You know, I don't hear, well, your piece of, you know, you run this piece of crap and I hate your stuff. All I hear is you guys take great care of us. You make great products. We love what you do. I mean, you just walk away with a big head. How do you, how do you not love what you do? <laughs> yeah. You know, I know Steve wants to ask a question, but I want to follow up something uh, that really puts into perspective. Uh, you know, if you call up you guys today and, and you get the chance to talk to Mary and you order a gun, mm -hmm. she's going to tell you six to eight weeks. And I think everything you just told us about your operation explains why it's six to eight weeks. You You're could probably crank... A pardon? You're you're buying a custom rifle. Exactly. All practical purpose. You yep. you pick out the stock. You pick out the barrel. You pick out the color. You pick out all the bells and whistles you want. We build it here, test it, and build it for you. Yep. And so, you know, my guess is, if you put your mind to it, you could crank out rifles in three weeks, but they would not be of the same quality that you're putting out now, and you refuse to do that. Uh, absolutely. Um, we will never sacrifice quality for anything. It, it's just, it, you know, it, it takes so long to build a quality reputation, and it takes so little time. To <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, we're just not willing to play that game. That's why I said that the only one who can trump me or the CEO or Dan is uh, quality assurance, and no one can question them. They say no. It's not up to their standards, and it'll go. Simple. Fantastic. So, yeah, it's uh, the way we've set up things is is to try to turn out the best product we can. Um, we do it as fast as we possibly can, and you know, and, and but we'll never sacrifice volume for quality ever. Just it's not in it's, it's not in our makeup. 
cool. Chad, let's talk a little bit about innovation. I, I recall seeing some prototypes at last year's SHOT Show of some 1022 magazines. Are they close to being released? Yeah, I think we'll probably, what I've come to find, you know, we're not mold people. <laughs> and I don't, I'm sure glad we're not. Um, we designed a mold, you know, again, um, we, we wanted to come up with a superior magazine. Uh, the magazine, like we were talking with the 1911, um, it's, it's your gas tank. And if it's not up to snuff, um, you're just never going to perform. Or if you have to have it in the back of your mind whether this thing's going to work or not, you're never going to be at your, at your top form. So we looked at what was available in the marketplace, and we looked at, okay, there's cast lips out there. Um, there's variations in the molds. Uh, as the mold gets older, the casts get worse, so you never know if it's a brand new one or whatever. Okay, so we went with a metal injection mold. It's basically a metal-injected stainless steel, and then they're coined. They're punched, so they're exactly right. The finish on them is very smooth. They're very hard. Um, uh, really good. We started looking at torques on certain things. You know, there were a few magazines out there that were clear, and, and I don't like to, I don't want to sound like I'm bad mouthing, but there were, they got a really bad reputation quickly that they just failed all the time, even though they were pretty cool and they, everyone thought they'd be great. Um, no one ever figured out why. Um, and I can tell you that our engineer and our people here, it took a year of playing with the magazine that we're working on right now to figure out why there was failure. And instead of just going on and, and manufacturing it, we built in a solution to that failure so it will not happen with our magazines. Um, we wanted to have a clear magazine or at least one in a smoke color so you could see round count. It's still a 10-round magazine, but if you saw the prototype, it had a little connection device that you just pushed it in, pushed them together so you could have uh, one single magazine or a double magazine. It looks a little cooler. It's a little different profile, but it essentially it is a rotary 10-round magazine that will be superior to anything out there. Um, it will be tougher, stronger, more stable, more rigid. Um, if if we were just going to come out and give you the same thing as everyone else's magazine, we wouldn't be in the business. We just have no interest. Right, right. We want to provide something that pairs with what we're doing in terms of a quality firearm, but also you know give it to the marketplace as, as a superior product. And then it'll be up to them to decide. But part of the thing is, is you have one time to do it right. If I put a product out there and it fails or you know it gets a bad reputation or, man, I sure wished I would have tested it more, um, I don't think you can test too much. You know, I, I jokingly say, okay, guys, test this, double what you think you're going to, and when you finish, come to me, and I'm going to tell you to go out and do it again. Um, <laughs> you, have, you have one time to do it right, and with a magazine, it's going to hit the market a lot later than I ever wanted, by about six months, um, but when it's there, it's going to be the best in the marketplace. Can you uh, reveal when you think that's going to hit the market? First quarter of next year, with great okay. certainty. Okay. And well, honestly, it's about 10 months later than what I expected. But what I did find is when you do a change with a mold and you're dealing with a molder, 
It takes them about a month to get it in line again to run some test shots. Then you get it in, you assemble, and then you test for another three or four weeks. Then have to make an alteration. And, and every time you make an alteration, it's a, it's about a six to eight week period of time. So sure. it is it, it is very very time consuming. It it was a horrible learning process for us. What do you expect the price point to be around? Do not. It's undetermined right now. It will okay, be more fair. expensive than traditional magazines out there, but these will not be disposable magazines. These will be ones yeah. that you will keep and use, and they will perform and perform. It's like it's like our 1911 magazines. Um, you know, they're of course they're not aluminum. Though I am looking at doing a run of aluminum, the same magazine in aluminum, because I had that as a prototype to show people, and every competitive shooter said, "I'll buy them." And if I do that, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I can kind I'll of say they're going to be in that $80 a piece magazine, but it'll be the last magazine you ever have to buy. Yeah, they, you'll be very, very impressed. I was just going to ask, Chad, is there anything else on the horizon that uh, we should be aware of or that you could talk about? Um, absolutely. Um, can I talk about it? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So you're going to say uh, there's some there's something out there, but it's bigger well, than bread okay. cakes. There, there's going to be there's going to be some changes to the X-ring rifle at Shot Show. Um, we'll be you know there's some a version of coming around the corner of the Mark IV that people are going to love. We've already been hammered by it. Um, we've got two new suppressors coming uh, at Shot Show. Which you know, a lot of people don't even know we're in the can business. And in all honesty, you know, we're a boutique company, but we've been in the suppression business for longer than probably eighty percent of the companies that are that you know of. You know, there's AAC and and uh, Surefire and a couple of those people that have been in it longer than us. But other than that, we've been in this field for a long time. Matter of fact, I get to brag uh, our Axiom suppressor. Uh, one industry choice suppressor of the year for 2018, and we're just a bunch of yeah, we're just a bunch of dumb kids in Idaho, you know. But <laughs> we we do occasionally do some things pretty well. well that's cool. Yeah. So All one right, of the things I we always like to do is just get a little something different. So what is it with this antique? Uh, you, you, I mean, for those of you that are on Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, one of Chet's favorite things is, is when he's out antiquing, is he'll post a picture and go, I don't know what this is. I love it, but I don't know what it is. So when did that start? <laughs> uh, years ago. It's it's one of those, like, I call it, what is it and why do I want it? <laughs> um I've ever since I was a little kid, I, I there's certain things I'm, I gravitate to mechanically or whatever that you know you just you just have uh, I have eclectic taste and it, they run the gamut. Um, you know, tools are one of the things. I, I love going to a garage sale or to an antique store and seeing a tool that I have no idea what it is, and then um, my OCD will make me spend you know 100 hours trying to figure out or find out what it is. I've got one right now that I've. I've had it out to everywhere, and no one, you know, it's from a castration tool to a hedge trimmer, um, and uh, <laughs> I still to this day, I don't have it, but I mean, I'm looking around my office right now, and I've got 
two logging paintings. So I have religious Santos that are 100 to 200 years old, a religious Bastador, which is a caged doll, retablos. I have a hand, oh, hand-carved zebra from Mia Farinelli that she sent me from Africa. Um, <laughs> there's a poster I just got from Ethan Inacando. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, oh, here's a photo of Gunny uh, that he sent me. Um, and, oh, this you'll love this. I have a stuffed frog playing a mandolin. Oh, I like <laughs> frogs. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, the, um, you know, how could you not? Well, I, I mean, per my many? personal favorite lately has been the, uh, the Santa riding the reindeer. Um, <laughs> that was one of the more interesting ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... I, I lead a crazy life. <laughs> All right, Jeff, I, I've got, I think I've got a better and funner question. I don't know if funner is a word, but I just made it up. Hey, right, you're using a sentence and it's yours. Hey, hey sure. you know, I'm going to coin it. So how did this whole, let's just call it, horrible is not a good word. Let's just say off-center selfie thing stuff. <laughs> oh, no, that's art, baby. <laughs> that's, that's professionalism. Um, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, I've had a lot of people who ju have jumped on the bandwagon that love this. And if I do turn in a good photograph, I catch it from them. I'm saying, what is with this crap? It, it oh, started yeah. a couple of years ago. One of my favorite places in, in the world is at Newport Beach, California. And I'm lucky enough to have a spot right on the beach. Um, it's especially nice because I don't own it. I just get to use it because it's my sister's, which is even better. But Perfect. there's a place on the on the bay um, that I get up and I go down to every morning, and just it's kind of a zen-like thing with me. It's just my favorite spot in the world. And occasionally there's a, a an otter, or a, in this case, when this happened, it was a dolphin, came up about 10 feet from me. And I, I got my camera out ready to take it, and by the time I took the picture, all it was just a you know, a splash of water, and I thought, you know, there's, I'm the lousiest photographer in the world, and I thought, you know, I'm sick of, of pictures from your trip. You know, no one likes that. So at that point in time, I started, you know, basically taking an absolutely the, the worst uh, epic fails that you could possibly take. You know, surfers um, around the corner, and they got blocked out. All you could see is the front of the board and the back of the board, and the surfer itself was cut off by a by a palm tree or you know <laughs> and it kind of it kind of just took and and it, it, they became more tasteless and horrible and and worse and you know i've been i've been thinking about making a coffee table book because you know I, I know <laughs> one of my students eric martin i know will be up to buy one you know I, if i can sell one it may be worthwhile but yeah it, it's been fun doing it now everyone does it I, it's it's a lot of fun well that's awesome Every time I see one, I giggle like a little schoolgirl. I admit it, Chet. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there are some really horrible ones, too. <laughs> yes, there is. But, Chet, you know, uh, we're coming to the close here of this episode. Uh, we really will appreciate you being on. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to share with our listeners? Oh, I don't know. We've covered so much stuff. I, I, I can't, for the life of me, think of anything. Um, we're, we love everyone's uh, input. Um, yeah, our shooters, the sport. You know, we're, we're, you and I, and we're all blessed to to be in this industry. And and I think as stewards of this industry, we need to be cognizant that 
we just can't let things go, that, that things are going to remain the same. I think we all need to be vigilant and do what we can to, to help bolster the industry, to bring new people in, um, to have our shooters, our sponsor shooters, bring new people into the fold so we can create a base and, and protect our, our Second Amendment. Um, I think sometimes we get lost in what we're doing in ourselves and, and become a little short-sighted. And I think with the, the political climate that we have out there and the changes in the political climate coming up potentially, um, we we run a, a huge risk of losing what we've got. So we better take it pretty seriously and, um, and, and be proactive in what we do and how we provide it. You know, I, I've always been one that says, let's not go to war. Let's educate the people. You know, if, if you look at our, if you look at our, our website and things like that, and, and this is not because we don't believe in anything. It's just the, our, our, um, how we want to be perceived by non-shooters is we do not show any pictures of human silhouettes. We do not show any animal kills. Uh, you may see an animal like a snowshoe rabbit after the fact, but you don't see any animal being blown up. Um, we do not call guns weapons. We call them firearms. Um, just little things like that. It's not because anyone else does it offends us, but there are people out there that are still making their minds up whether or not guns good, guns bad. I want those people on our side. I want them voting for our rights. So I'm willing to take little steps to help educate and help bring on, you know, our, our Second Amendment rights and keep them strong. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Not a problem. Thanks again, Chad. Really appreciate you taking out your time to spend uh, the last hour or so with us. And thank you for everything that you've done for me personally as well as the industry. I know that there's so many people out there that uh, love and support tactical solutions. And it's just not because you guys make amazing products that are cutting edge, but it's also the, the people in the relationship side. So thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I you second bet. that. Thanks, you guys. I'll let you go. I'm so shy and reserved, I know. but. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, that's another episode of the Steel Target Paint Podcast. This time we had Chet Elvert. I hope you all enjoyed it, and uh, we'll listen. Uh, you can listen on the next episode. Thanks.